Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Gabby Ree Show. On this show, we discuss the complex topics around relationships, health, fitness, family, business, and so much more with the world's leading experts. My goal is to simplify these topics and give you practical takeaways that you can start using in your life today. We all know that living a healthy, balanced life can be challenging. So let's try managing life a little better and have some fun along the way. Because after all, life is just one big experiment. Hi everyone, my guest this week is veterinarian Dr. Gary Richter. He has two new books out, Longevity for Dogs, and longevity for cats. If you're interested in all the best practices you can do for your pet, please join us. Dr. Richter. (laughs) All right. So you have two new books out. Yes. You didn't want to leave out the cats. I see longevity for cats, longevity for dogs. I I know what's good for me. Yeah. You You can't leave the cats out. No, don't leave the cats out. They'll come for you. They will. And yes, their owners, I know. In your sleep. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's right. They'll eat you. Yes. Right? They're the ones. Yes. The dogs won't. And the lab boy may consume never. consume your soul while you're sleeping. Yes. No. Okay. I'm sure you don't know who Theo Vaughn is, but he had uh, someone on there who was literally just talking about this, how they will eat you, the cats, if you die. Oh, and your so dog will, won't. So will the dog. But later, they say the lab is the last one, apparently. Do you mm. believe that? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all... When I, when I see your work and I do my research, um, you know, you're just a representation of what I also see in human medicine, yeah. which is people who do real training, customary training, get into practice and then say, oh, wait, there's also things that we can do that are better mm-hmm. for our patients. And in this case, you have to deal with the patient's owners sure. as well. And so I'm, I'm just really interested in, in sort of hearing your journey about what you thought you were getting into when you were becoming a veterinary Mm -hmm. and why you you sort of adapted and have changed, it seems like, elements of your practice. Sure. So, I mean, like every veterinarian, like every medical professional, I was trained in a very sort of Western medical kind of way. Um, And that's how I started practicing. Um, And I think like Many medical professionals, you know, is one thing that most of us have in common, which is we don't like not knowing. Uh, We don't like not having the answer to things. Um, And the other thing that I ran into sort of four or five years into practice is, is I started really seeing sort of like where the hard stops were as far as like what I could get done with my training. You know, I have a patient with this disease, this diagnosis. These are the things that I can do. And when you're done doing those things, there's nothing left. Uh, And I hated having that conversation with people saying, there's nothing else I can do. Uh, I still don't like having that conversation with people. So 
it led me to start looking to see what else was out there. Uh, and I had had some, I had had sort of a, a brush with acupuncture and Chinese medicine in school. Uh, so I started looking at that and I wound up getting acupuncture trained. And then I started having results in my patients with acupuncture and then ultimately herbal therapy that I was never able to achieve in Western medicine. Uh, and, and, you know, this is, it's, it's a door that once you go through that door, you can't go back. Mm -hmm. Once you realize that there's something else out there beyond what they taught you, uh, you can't ever not do that anymore. So acupuncture turned into chiropractic, turned into herbal therapy and hyperbaric oxygen and regenerative medicine. And it's just become a kind of a personal and professional mission to see what else is out there that I can do to help these patients. And what I've found is, is that there's more stuff being looked at on the human side than there is in the veterinary side for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But most of it is very applicable. So now I'm just, just, taking what I learned that, you know, that, that physicians and human researchers are doing and adapting it to veterinary medicine. You know, it's like, how do you buck the system and also get your patients on board with uh, changing the, the, that thinking? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because it's a very different audience, the professional audience versus the pet owning audience. Um, not surprisingly, the pet owning audience is much more receptive to these things. You know, I knew that the moment I started going down this pathway that I was going to become that guy in, in my profession, um, which I did. Um, and that's fine. Uh, and I'm sort of accustomed to being looked at askance a little bit, but that's mm -hmm. okay. Um, but, you know, things like acupuncture are becoming actually quite popular in veterinary medicine. So it's kind of bleeding in right. slowly. Um, you know, the, the medical profession, whether it's human or veterinary is always going to be slow to adapt to new things. It's a very sort of hypercritical kind of a thing. Um, but we'll get them there. Uh, pet owners, on the other hand, are always eager to do anything that they possibly can uh, to help their to help their pets, which in many cases are family members. Uh, in many cases, family members that are more cherished than their actual human family members. Yeah. Uh, so people are anxious and eager uh, to, to explore this kind of stuff. And for me, you know, my greatest responsibility is to be able to present these things to people in a way that is responsible. I mean, clearly there's all kinds of stuff out there that has no basis in fact whatsoever, you know, wave this and, you know, and say the prayer and what, you know, it's got to be scientifically relevant and, and, and legitimate. And that's, that's the balance of it all. Now, are there, there, are there two different types of pet owners, people that own pets and people that the pet is the family member? I there, suppose do you it, see there's a line there? For sure. I, I suppose it's more of a continuum than a line. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are people who, you know, it goes anywhere from, you know, my pet is a thing that I own all the way up to I will mortgage my house to care for my pet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, needless to say, you know, I work, my practice is in, is in the Bay Area. Um uh, and, you know, I mean, my office is called Holistic Veterinary Care. So you can imagine the sort of type of pet owner that we have a tendency to attract. And needless to say, they fall more on the, this is my family member, I'll do anything for my pet kind of people. Um, which as a veterinarian is great because all I want to do is help these animals. So, you know, people that come in with that attitude of tell me everything that we can do is, is it's a wonderful freedom as a veterinarian to be able to do that. Did you grow up in love with cats and dogs? You know, I was always that kid that um, 
was always fascinated with animals. Um, you know, I think, I think like many veterinarians at the end of the day, I'm a die in the wool introvert. And if you put me in a room full of, full of people as a kid, if there was a dog in that room, I would find the dog mm. and hang out with the dog. As it turns out, I'm kind of still that person for the most part. Yeah. But, it's because you don't seem, um, mushy in that way. You, you seem there's something sort of very practical and in a way, I guess that's a perfect combination of, Hey, I want to, I care and I want to help your pet, but I'm. I'm not going to get unraveled. Well, I mean, on a professional level, you you do have to maintain a little bit of separation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I think the thing about healthcare in general, which is, a you know, it's just a sad reality of healthcare, is that there's always end of life stuff that happens mm -hmm. in healthcare. And if you let yourself get emotionally drawn into that, it's, it's not a survivable thing in the long term professionally. Yeah. Like, you just can't do it. So, so you have to maintain a little bit of distance as a veterinarian, just as a self-preservation measure. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, I love these creatures mm. and, and, you know, I'd rather hug all over a dog and a cat than most people any day. Yeah. I don't think people realize too, how few schools there are in the country and how hard it is to get in. Yeah. Like you have to really want to do this. You do. I mean, and, and, you know, it's not that an education in veterinary medicine is more difficult than one in human medicine. It's just, it's a, it's a numbers game. There's way more medical schools than there are veterinary schools. So it's just a function of like, can you be one of those people that managed to get in? Now, do horses sort of have the leading care? I always say joke, like when they go, you know, a lot of times as an athlete, they've been like, oh, they've been giving this to horses for 20 years and they finally figure <laughs> out a way to get right. it to humans. Right. I feel like I always say they get the best care because they, they obviously are, you know, prized and expensive and things like that. Sure. But I, I do feel like in equine medicine, they've, they've, they've incorporated a lot of these holistic elements a long time ago, um, including acupuncture, yeah. like in the 60s, right? Yeah. When Nixon brought guys over, sure. I heard that because they like Tibet and gamble, mm -hmm. that they were sort of exercising acupuncture. Yeah. Has has that informed sort of the dog and cat information? It, it absolutely has. And I mean, from an acupuncture perspective, I mean, that's a fascinating history because you can look back thousands of years and the Chinese were acupuncturing horses. Right. I mean, and they did that because they needed to. Because horses, not only were they beasts of burden, but they were tools of war. Like you had to keep those animals healthy or you're going to die. Mm -hmm. So so they were acupuncturing horses right along people. Now, it never occurred to them at the time to probably acupuncture a dog because why? Yeah, they'd, yeah. they'd eat the dog yeah. rather than why take care of the dog. Why at that time would you do that? But right. horses were important. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, equine medicine, is a, it's, it's a fascinating sort of segment of veterinary medicine um, because they are very valuable. They are in many cases performance athletes. Um, and as you well know, I mean, when you're at that level of, of athleticism, like you get a lot of care, a lot, it takes a lot of care to, to keep that machine functioning in the way that it needs to. Um, and horses orthopedically are just, I mean, it's a miracle that that system works at all. Mm. You know, I've sometimes jokingly said that a horse is basically a brick balanced on four toothpicks. I mean, cause it's, it's unbelievable that that system works, but when it works right, it's, it's magic. Yeah. Um, but it takes a lot to get that going and, and, you know, acupuncture, herbal medicine, all kinds of alternative methods have been long used in, in equine medicine because people in that world are, you know, they'll do anything to keep those animals healthy. 
Has this journey for you almost reversed engineered back into your own self-care practice, a lot of different and new things that oh, sure. you wouldn't have done? Like Absolutely. Your thinking and the way you approach your own you know, health practice? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, there's no way, you know, you learn this stuff. And, and you know, I mean, broadly speaking, mammals are mammals. So like right, what right. works in a person more often than not will work in an animal and vice versa. Um, and the more I've gotten into this world, the more I've become involved with sort of the, the you know, the human longevity science community, because there really isn't a veterinary longevity science community. So that's where I have to get my information professionally. But yeah, clearly that information has been incredibly valuable for me and my family as well. Mm -hmm. I know, And I know you have uh, pet food that you do and, mm -hmm. and real ingredients. So, you know, that's an interesting thing because I think people don't realize how important over the long run, you know, a little bit, of this and that now and again, okay, seed oils or something that's mm -hmm. not good for us, fine. Sure. But it's the accumulation through time. Yeah. Do you see with animals also that they're able to regenerate? Because he, people can too. I think sometimes we forget how quickly we can, you know, change and improve and things like that if we just give it a little bit of time. Yeah. Do you, is it amazing to you when you see this with the pets? Oh, it is. I mean, and that's you know that's the that's the miracle of getting to work with a biological system is that you're working with a system that at the end of the day wants to be healthy, and if you give it half a chance, it will do that. You know what I often tell people is you know if my car is broken. And I say, buy the repair parts and set them next to the car. My car is always going to be broken. But, but you know, you, you give an animal or a person half a chance and say, take these nutrients and it's, it's done. Like, I don't have to know how to fix everything. I just have to give them a little push in the right direction. And more often than not, they'll take care of it themselves. So maybe we could just do sort of a one-on-one -on -one for people who will, will sort of tune them up a little bit on some of their pet owning skills. Sure. If, you know, someone has a pet, a cat or a dog, um, mm -hmm. and by the way, for you, you know, taking care of both of these animals, do you take care of any other types of, do you take care of birds or anything like that? On occasion, but the vast, to. vast majority <laughs> is, is dogs and cats, yeah. Is, is there, what is, I mean, besides the joke of their personality differences, is there anything as far as caring for them that's so significantly different? Well, I mean, certainly their nutritional requirements are a little bit different. Um, you know, cats are obligate carnivores. I mean, they meat must be on the diet for a cat. Dogs are much more omnivorous. They're, they're a little bit more flexible in that sense. And, and you know, physiologically, there are some differences in the way that, that cats work. Um, but you know, broadly speaking, most stuff translates. Okay. So if someone, ha let's say they are getting a pet and mm -hmm. maybe they're not an experienced pet owner. Yeah. If you had sort of a checklist uh -huh. of sorts of, Hey, you know, things that you want to think about, whether it's, you know, walking them or exercising them, their food, sure. what would be a basic, uh, checklist to bring to their attention? Yeah. I love it that you asked that question that way of when you're getting a pet, because really that's the time to kind of start that whole process. Uh, and, and the reason why I say that is, is one of the, you know, one of the biggest impacts on both quality and quantity of life, whether it's an animal or a person is lifestyle. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, dogs and cats vary drastically in, in sort of personality types and, and preferences and whatnot. And I think what happens sometimes is people have a tendency to get a pet sort of based on aesthetics. Like I like the way this dog looks kind of thing. Uh, 
And if your lifestyle is not compatible with what that animal is sort of naturally going to do, it's going to be problems for everybody. I mean, you know, the, the example that I often give people is, you know, if you work a 10 hour day and you live in a one bedroom condo and you get a border collie, I was, I was just thinking. your life is going to be hell. And so is the dogs. Yeah. Um, because that's a dog that needs to get out and run around and have enormous amounts of exercise and mental stimulation. And if that dog is left to his own devices in a house for 10, 12 hours a day, he's going to eat your couch. He's going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. So, so to your point, before you get that pet, yeah. you got to start thinking about like, what is my lifestyle compatible with? Am I a super active person? You know, I have clients that come in. And they literally have their border collie out for a walk four or five hours a day. That's amazing. That doesn't work in my life. Right. But that's great that that works for them. Um, whereas, you know, if you're not that person, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you look at a dog that's more happy just kind of laying around the house. And just what being what is that dog? What's a, what are some la- lazier dogs? Lounge dogs. Yeah. Um, oh, is that what you call them? Yeah, sure. So I guess so, that's a pot. We always have polite words for everything right? now. <laughs> so, I mean, on the smaller dog side, um, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Um, oh yeah, the bed warmers. The bed warmers. Okay, got um, it. As we have discussed, I have Shih Tzus, which are which are great dogs. Um, but even you know, even if you sort of tend towards larger dogs, there are larger dogs that are perfectly happy to sort of not be super active. I mean, once one of them that's not really intuitive are greyhounds. Oh, you would think that a greyhound yeah. would want. You know, it's funny. You take a greyhound off the track. And they're like one of those athletes that's like, oh, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend the rest of my life on the couch. I mean, greyhounds like to get out and do stuff, but they are very happy on your couch. My my dog, Kava, that you saw, the Rat Terrier, yeah. he has both gears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full throttle, like Laird, we, when we're in Hawaii, we'll run him with a cart. Mm-hmm. He, and he just will run full speed. Yeah. And he's no problem to lay around. Yeah. It's interesting. Terriers. Yeah. 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 Do you see? The, I heard the way you said terriers, though. Well, what they're, is a, that? they're they're a very <laughs> terriers tend to be a very driven dog, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, rat terrier. I mean, yeah. the name the name speaks the. I mean, that's what they were designed for. Yeah. It's a ratter, right? Yeah. So, like, they see something and they're on it like white on rice. Yeah. But like, if they're if they don't have that stimulation, then sure, they can just relax. Yeah. So we 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 know uh, border collars are working dogs, sheep herding dogs, mm-hmm. things like that. And this is no joke for people. Like, this is not a dog that you just get. You have to know understand how to own these types of dogs. Yeah, I would I would describe them as not a starter dog. That's a good way to say it, and yeah. maybe have a backyard. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Aren't, do you think standard poodles are mean and really smart? I love poodles. I think standard poodles are great dogs. They're very smart. I kind they're of they're wicked smart. I often think of them as, as as contemplative. Like you look at a poodle and they're kind of checking you out. Yeah. Right. And they're upset about their haircut too. That's another story. <laughs> okay. So I do my research. I say, okay, based on what I think I can commit to this, yeah. and then and maybe just like a checklist. Like, does a dog need a bed? I mean, things like this. Like, is this sure? Yeah. I mean, dogs need. They need space. I mean, like, you know, I think a good way, a good way to start planning this out from a checklist perspective is you start thinking about like, from an evolutionary standpoint, what are, what are things that these animals do? So, I mean, you know, I mean, dogs are pack animals, so they tend to be more social. um, Whereas cats oftentimes are perfectly happy to kind of just be. Um, But, um, you know, so giving them a bed, giving them a place that's, that's theirs. Um, both dogs and cats really appreciate routine. 
so, you know, they generally like to eat at the same time, uh, go out for walks, playtime. Uh, you know, the thing about the thing about routine is it provides them with with a, a, a sense of security. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you think about you think about like the things that most of us when we get anxious and stressed out, what are we anxious and stressed out about? It's almost always some sort of uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where this is all going to wind mm-hmm. up. It's the same thing with with dogs and cats. Like if they if they have routine in their life, then they generally feel better and they're less stressed. Uh, you know, other things to think about are food. Uh, what this, are we going to feed them? This is a big one. <clears throat> so let's let's dive into that because I think it's hard enough as it is for us to figure out what we're supposed to be eating because mm-hmm. everything has tricky names as it is. Yep. Um, and I know that's why, in fact, you created your own brand um, was, oh, this there's not a lot of good stuff out there. Sure. So let's say someone is doing the best they can and they have a limited amount of resources, mm-hmm. uh, let's say money mm-hmm. towards something. How would you go about, you know, sort of feeding your pet as responsibly as you could? Sure. So, I mean, there's some... There's some good news when it comes to feeding pets. Uh, you know, when we think about what's ideal for pets to eat, it's it's not that different than than from us, which is kind of going back to that comment of what are they evolutionarily designed for? All animals are evolutionarily designed to eat a fresh whole food diet. Nobody nobody evolved eating food out of a bag or a can, right? So preservatives, highly processed food, it's just not what our bodies are designed to thrive on. So the more fresh whole foods they're eating, the better. The good news about all of this is, you know, unlike us as humans, we are 100% in control of what our pets eat, Mm -hmm. which means that you can actually optimize their diet. I mean, if I had somebody handing me every bite of food that I ate every day, I'd probably be more healthy than I am right now. Because, you know, sometimes that slice of pizza looks really good. Of course. Yeah. Um, The good news also is, is that dogs and cats, well, certainly if you hand them French fries, they'll happily eat them. Um, If you hand them fresh whole foods, they will also happily eat them. So it's not like they're not out there craving empty calories and carbs like like most people do. Right. Um, But to your point of like from a resource perspective, so the question really becomes is, how do I get as close to that fresh whole food diet as I can, you know, without mortgaging the house to do it? Uh, you know, there's a lot of options out there. You know, certainly you can buy food that is ready to feed. Um, fresh whole food diets like frozen cooked, frozen raw, freeze dried, it can get expensive, particularly if you have larger dogs or multiple dogs. Uh, another option that's cheaper is um, you can make it yourself. Uh, you know, you just have to work off of a recipe so you know that they're getting all the nutrition that they need. Uh, but like many things in life, you know, it, you know, making it yourself, it's going to take a little more time, but it's going to cost less money. So it's this whole time money balance Mm -hmm. that we, that we all do. Um, that's an option. Another option is, is, you know, this is not, this is not a binary thing. It's not an all or nothing. It's not like they have to eat all fresh food or don't bother. Uh, you know, it's just like us as people, you know, I mean, I try and eat as healthy as I can, but if I occasionally go out and eat something that's not healthy, it doesn't mean I should just throw away all the healthy food and say, forget it, I'm going to live at McDonald's. That doesn't make any sense. So you feed them as much fresh whole food as you can reasonably make work in your life. You know, I mean, one of the things that I always tell people is whatever you do with your pet, whether it's about food or supplements or diet, lifestyle, whatever, it has to be sustainable. 
you know, if I tell you to do something and it lasts for a week and then you say, I can't do it, it's too hard, well, I haven't done you or your pet any real favors. So it all has to be something that works in your life, both time-wise and lifestyle-wise and financially. Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out what works. What's the closest I can get to that ideal fresh whole food diet that you can actually maintain in your life? Does can or dried end up usually showing up better? Like if someone went to the regular, because I know like the better stuff, like your stuff is freeze dried uh -huh. and stuff. Uh -huh. And I've I've seen a lot of that. And my dog really loves it, by the way. Oh, good. Loves it. And I feel like you need less. Yeah. I don't know. It's I feel that way when I get, um, I have my friends send me meat that they hunted. Uh -huh. I eat almost half the amount. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't, I guess maybe because you're getting all the macro, micro and all the nutrients that you need. Yeah. It tends to be true. Yeah. So it seems it's, it's just more condensed, but yeah. if, or does the canned or the dry typically show up as one is better over the other or not really? I mean, if I had to pick, I would pick canned over dry. Uh, and the reason being is that dry food is incredibly high in carbohydrates like um, oh grains and things like that whether it's grain or grain free mm. it's still i mean you think of dry food as a baked good which it effectively is it's like saying low carb bread it's just not a thing <laughs> like you just can't do it right so and and again getting back to that whole evolutionary comment like you look at what dogs are evolved to eat and yes they are omnivores and they are evolved to eat a certain degree of carbohydrates but not a diet that is 60 or 70 percent carbs like like kibble tends to be Cats, on the other hand, like they have almost no use for carbohydrates whatsoever as mm. a carnivore. So feeding them all those carbs is just asking for them to be overweight, potentially diabetic, and have all these problems. So to your to your question, canned food is better in that sense that it's lower in carbs. It's certainly not perfect, but it does have that going for it. And what about going to the butcher and getting bones for them to chew on? Is that a yay or an a? So you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting question because it's a somewhat controversial question in the veterinary field. Oh, um, I am a I am definitely a fan of raw bones mm -hmm. uh, as occasional treats. Um, when I have people come in that are feeding their dogs or their cats raw bones, I can almost tell without knowing that they're doing it just from looking at their teeth. Um, because Are they it keeps their teeth so clean. Really? So the, the nut here is it has to be a raw bone because cooked bones are too hard and they'll break teeth on them. Yeah. Um, and it has to be a bone of an appropriate size. They need, it needs to be small enough that they can actually chew through it. And mind you, like you want them to chew through it and eat it. Raw bones are digestible. So they can chew this stuff up and digest it and eat it. Whereas if they eat a chunk of a cooked bone, it's going to sit in their stomach and it's not going to be a good thing. Um, so right size, um, definitely raw. I usually tell people maybe once a week, plus or minus. And then, you know, you just have to understand that you're talking about a raw bone. So you can't like give it to them and kind of let them drag it around the house all week because that's gross and asking for problems. <laughs> so you give it to them, you let them have their way with it for a couple of hours. And then if it's not gone, then you have to take it away. Take it away. You know, there is a food safety issue that you have to think about. And then you have, I mean, it is interesting. It's sort of, I, I even liken it to having kids. It's sort of like anyone can really have a dog. I mean, sure. it, you don't have to be, you don't need a license True. per se, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. So when you, what are some of the things that really are common mistakes that people make in pet owning? So one would be obviously picking the wrong type of dog for mm -hmm. your lifestyle. Yeah. I always love when I'm in New York City and I see Akita's. I'm like, <laughs> why would you have this dog? Yeah. This giant dog that, yeah. by the way, only really likes its owner. True. And or the members of the of the family. Yes. 
so besides, you know, the lifestyle really being, I uh-huh. would think of the most start, it's almost like picking a partner. Yeah. You kind of want to start with sort of the, like, you show me who you are. Yeah. You, you know, have a lot of energy yeah. or you don't. And yeah. I'm, you know, I need to go from there. Sure. What are some of the really common mistakes that we could sort of highlight for people for them to be mindful to not make? Sure. So, I mean, we talked about picking the right dog. We talked about exercise. Um Again, lifestyle is important. Getting these animals out for the amount of exercise that's appropriate for them. Getting them to have social time um, if they're an animal that likes social time because that's important for them as well. Um, You know, moving beyond that, um, appropriate veterinary care is important. Uh, and, And, you know, when I say appropriate veterinary care, part of it is about making sure that they get veterinary care. And part of it is also making sure that they don't get the wrong kind of veterinary care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as is the case, uh, you know, in, in medicine in general, sort of Western medicine is set up as a very sort of one size fits all system. Um, so all dogs get these vaccines. So that, that stresses me out as well. It should. Um, because, because the truth is, is not all dogs should get this set of vaccines. Yep. Um, you know, and, and, and to be clear, I am absolutely not anti-vax when it comes to dogs. I am anti-overvax when it comes to dogs because that is a thing that happens a lot. Cats too. Um, but the reality is, is, you know, a lot of these vaccines that dogs are getting, um, after they've had one or two of them, they probably have immunity to these diseases for years, if not a lifetime. And yet many of them are continuing to get vaccinated year after year after year. And, and you know, vaccines by design stimulate the immune system. Um, which means that, you know, when you're overstimulating the immune system, you might be setting yourself up for problems. Um, so there's things like that. There's, you know, unnecessary or indiscriminate use of medications like antibiotics. Antibiotics are great. Most of us would probably be dead at this point in our lives, if not for antibiotics at one point or another, but overuse of antibiotics can lead to all kinds of problems. And again, you know, I mean, the, the thing about Western medicine and, 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 and realize, I mean, I'm an integrative practitioner. I practice Western medicine. I'm a big fan of Western medicine. But Western medicine is set up to treat problems when they occur. There's, other than vaccination, there's almost no prevention in the Western medical paradigm. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, a bone breaks, you fix it. There's an infection, you treat it. There's very little thought of, you know, how do we keep this patient healthy so they don't get these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that I think people really need to think about when we're talking about longevity for pets is, is, is you know, that what I would call proactive preventative care. You know, and I think the problem with us as people is we're not hardwired to do that. You know, I mean, right. that's... Well, because it's not, it's not an immediate issue or it's yeah. a, it's not immediate gratification. And so like, if I do this, like, I'm not really seeing anything different. I sure. mean, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I liken it to a, to a smoker, like that person that smokes cigarettes full well knows that those things give you cancer, but they're not thinking of it when they light up any one individual cigarette because, because it's not an immediate threat. Right. Um, because we're just not hardwired to sort of deal with threats that are months or years in the future. It's yeah. just not how we think. Um, but if we're talking about longevity, that's how you have to think, Mm -hmm. um, because it's always going to be way easier to prevent problems than it is to treat problems afterwards. And it's really hard to fix some stuff once it's broken. So, I mean, you can prevent cancer a lot easier than you can treat it. 
It must be interesting, though, like you said earlier, the pet owner really controls the environment of the animal. Yeah. And if you can get the pet owner on board, yeah. I mean, it must be amazing. And now that you've been practicing for all these years, it, it must be really satisfying to have a rhythm and at least years of patience where you're seeing, like you said, this longevity sure. starting now to play out um, and, and getting them on, on board. Um, really quickly, because I know there's a, like so many animals in... Um, you, you know, so too many animals and everybody is, do you think when you have a pet come to see you, is it like automatically you should spade and neuter this animal pretty much? Uh, no. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a secret. I don't The Mr. Kava still has his testicles because uh -huh. my husband, I mean, we control where he goes. He's right. not walking about and, you know, having babies everywhere, but you know, Laird, did some research and said ligaments and tendon strength is better sure, and sure. Uh, motivation and all these things. Yeah. But I also understand when you live in a populated area or if you have a pet, um, yeah. also Mr. Kava is more aggressive. Mm -hmm. If, you know, he can be kind of a little brat, you know, with other dogs. <laughs> brat terrier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't like terriers. Can you see that, Justin? He's like terriers. I have nothing against him. No, you just no, have no, to know what you're getting. Oh, I know. But yeah. he's a perfect match for my husband. Yeah. Um, so what on that, unless obviously someone wants to have puppies, um, because it's so interesting right away that be like, just, you know, neuter them mm -hmm. and spay them. It's, mm -hmm. And I think sometimes there's reasons that we have certain things. Yeah, no, you're right. And, 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 you know, it's something that I actually discuss in, yeah. with some, in some detail in the book, mm -hmm. because it's a, it's a very real thing. I mean, you know, I mean, the veterinary medicine is very much spayed to your dog or your cat. Um, it's interesting because there has been research that's come out over the past number of years that have shown that there are certain health benefits to these animals, either not being spayed or neutered, or at the very least being spayed or neutered after they're fully physically mature. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, standard standard practice in veterinary medicine for years has been spay or neuter your dog by the time they're six months old. Um, and in many cases, that's been done um, to sort of ward off behavioral issues. Um, although arguably there are some behavioral issues that are worse if you spay or neuter them. What does that mean? Like depression or something? Well, take for example, separation anxiety. There's oh, yeah. a greater mm. incidence of separation anxiety in dogs that are, that are spayed or neutered than ones that aren't. Um, and that's not something that you commonly hear talked about. Uh, so, and, and, you know, I mean, so the flip side of it is, is yeah, I mean, I think there's a greater concern of say like dog dog aggression per se in a in a non-neutered male dog um but in you know for me to a certain extent that's a training issue um you know if you train your dog properly if you have appropriate sort of control with your dog then that maybe isn't something that you have to worry too much about um but but yeah i mean there's lower incidences of certain types of cancer uh, there's lower incidences of certain types of orthopedic disease, uh, you know, particularly when we're talking about larger dogs. Well, this was the thing. I think when you have dogs that have a tendency to either have hip or knee issues, yeah. that that would be something people could ask questions about yeah. to maybe protect the dog later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, dogs, particularly larger dogs, but I mean, like, you know, like I can spot a dog down the street that is either not spayed or neutered or was spayed or neutered later because they're built differently. Um, they have better bone density, better muscle mass. Even their head is shaped differently. They're kind of blockier. Square. Yeah, yeah square. like a male jaw. Like yeah, our exactly, exactly. And like, you know, and, and, and interestingly, they're, they also tend to be a little shorter. 
Um, their bones are they're denser, but they don't go quite as quite as long. Um, and I think that may have something to do with some of their orthopedic disease is that they have a higher center of gravity, but they don't have the muscle mass to support it. Um, so then they tend to blow out a knee, um, which is all too common uh, with dogs. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, stuff like spaying and neutering. That said, there is a higher incidence uh, of, of mammary cancer in female dogs if they're not spayed. So, like, this is very much a one-on-one -on -one decision. There is no blanket you yeah. must do this kind of thing. Um, I would say when it comes to cats, um, having a an intact male or female cat in your house is not a good time. Right. So so maybe when it comes to cats, you, you, you get that cat spayed or neutered because having an intact tomcat in your house, you're going to have to move out of your house. Yeah, it's it does not smell good. No, I know. Tomcat so, urine is not it's okay. Disgusting. It's not okay. Yeah. So that is that that is the price of being a cat, I think, is like you want to get cared for. Those are going to have to go. Yeah. Well, I was, I just really appreciated that you went into depth in it in the book because you must get a little juice for that now and again. People must give you some heat for even being like, hey, it's a conversation. You do. Yeah. You, you do. And, and, you know, admittedly, there's a very much a very realistic conversation about sort of the pet population sure. and that sort of thing. And sure. that, that comes to being a responsible pet owner, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't, I certainly, I don't knock you know, animal control and SPCA for spaying and neutering these dogs that are that are in their care Absolutely. because this is about controlling the pet population. You know, for your little guy in your house, like you say, he's not running around out there, you know, making puppies left, right, and center. So no. like, that's not a concern. Right. He, we, we've only uh, consciously ever, he, he's had one uh, moment of relationships with another rat terrier. The owner wanted puppies. Okay. And um, one of my teenage daughters was thoroughly disgusted by his behavior for three days because you know they lose their mind and he kept trying it's to not just dogs yeah of course i know i've been married for 20 some years <laughs> thank god it makes it all it's you know, a cross species thing right yeah <laughs> and 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 she was like i liked him before i was like yeah it's okay it's yeah. only for a few days <laughs> <laughs> so if in in talking about longevity and um it, you know just for for a pet owner to um and, and you do talk about it but you have an animal. Is there are there things that start to show up that you go, hey, maybe something's not right that we can get on top of yeah. for the longevity practice, or just signs that it's something's going on. Yeah, that's a great question um, because I think I think what what tends to happen again, this is sort of that that we don't like to plan for bad things to happen kind of thing. So people tend to wait until it's really dramatically obvious that there's a problem. Uh, and invariably, you'll have people come into the office and say, well, he was fine just last week. Well, clearly he wasn't. Um, but, you know, I mean, the thing about animals is they're hardwired to hide their illness. And, you know, an animal in the wild that right. looks sick or injured is going to get eaten. Vulnerable, yeah. Yeah, there's a target on their back. So despite the fact that your you know dogs have been domesticated for somewhere between 10 and 30,000 years they are still very much hardwired to make everything look like it's okay even when it's not so so what i tell people you know beyond just all of the preventative stuff that we've been talking about uh, i mentioned earlier that that dogs and cats are very much habit you know they're very much creatures of habit and routine right so so 
any break in that routine that doesn't have an obvious explanation. So um, they're sleeping somewhere different. They're acting a little bit different. Changes in their appetite, changes in their water consumption. Even even like if your dog is eating the same amount, but maybe he gets up in the morning and normally he inhales his food, but now he's like waiting a few hours to eat. All of those things can be indications that there's something going on. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not a guarantee like, oh my God, he's going to die tomorrow, but it's, it's a clue. Uh, and the earlier you intervene with illness, the greater the chance you have that you're going to get on top of things. So, you know, a lot of this is if you see something that is even a little bit concerning, that's a good time to have a conversation with your veterinarian, start looking into it, start running diagnostic tests, see if we can figure out what's going on. Um, and even if it's not completely obvious, that's a good time to start talking about diet, preventative care, supplements, all the sorts of things that maybe will be able to allow that dog or their cat's body to repair whatever is going on before we even are able to label it with a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. This podcast is brought to you by Beam. And today they have a great offer for you today on their Beam Dream Powder. And I love this because I'm always talking about sleep, the importance of sleep. I can usually fall asleep. I have a hard time staying asleep. I know I have other friends who, you know, once they go to bed, they're fine, but they can't fall asleep or people who have both. And you just don't feel great. You don't wake up feeling refreshed. A lot of us talk about, you know, poor mental cognitive function, even mental health. You've got mood issues. I'm not as productive. And you'll even hear people say, hey, when I'm not sleeping, all of a sudden I've got weight gain. So they have a really incredible offer for you today. But first, let me tell you what's inside it. So Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium L-theanine, melatonin, and nano CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and yes, let's wake up refreshed. And they're, they've had their Beam Dreams powder in hot cocoa, and it's very, very popular. It's one of their best-selling healthy hot cocos because there is no added sugar. And now they've got available so many other delicious flavors, sea salt caramel, cinnamon cocoa, chocolate peanut butter. You can just put it in hot water or milk, milk alternative, stir it, froth it, and just enjoy it before bedtime. And a recent clinical study revealed Dream helped 93% of users wake up feeling more refreshed and 93 reported that Dream helped them get a more restful night's sleep. If you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, you can get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Gabby and use the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y at checkout. That's shopbeam.com. S-H-O-P-B-E-A-M slash Gabby and use the code Gabby for up to 40% off. This podcast is brought to you by Wakaya Perfection. I probably don't need to tell you about the benefits of ginger and turmeric for your health. I mean, their antioxidant and soothing properties are really well documented, but what we don't really know is usually where these products come from and which gingers and turmerics to put into your body. So like you, I like to do my research and I was really impressed with this company, Wakaya Perfection. And it was actually given to me first as a tea, as a gift from a really good friend of mine. And I didn't realize how special it was until I started checking out the company. I mean, they go to some of the most pristine places on earth to grow ginger, turmeric, kava, and so many more. And it's all harvested by hand. 
The soil, it's volcanic. They've used rainfall. It's crystal clear. And you can not only taste the difference when you use it in your food, but you can really feel it. They have a wonderful offer for you today. And if you want to check out their pristine ginger, turmeric, kava, or whatever you know your needs are, all you have to do is go to wakayaperfection.com. And when you use the code Gabby 20, you'll save 20% off your first order. That's Wakaya, W-A-K-A-Y-A, perfection.com. And don't forget to use the code Gabby 20. This podcast is brought to you by Blissey. I first heard about Blissey, of course, from one of my daughters. They're usually ahead of me on things in beauty or just kind of things really nice for your room. And one of my girls asked me to order her this pillowcase. And I thought, okay, you really, you want a special pillowcase? Then I learned more about it. It's 100% mulberry silk. And what that means is it's temperature regulating and that the silk is better. It's breathable and moisture wicking, very different than satin. So I don't know about you, sometimes like the back of my neck gets hot and I'm flipping my pillowcase from you know my pillow side to side. Well, with Blissey, all of that is over because you do have that temperature regulating. And then I found out for one of my girls why she really wanted it is that it was not only keeping you cool through the night, it reduces frizz, tangles, and hair breakage. And for me personally, what I really like is it's not precious. It's washable and hypoallergenic. It's got a great zipper, so it keeps your pillow nice and snug and in place. And they've got all kinds of great awards. From Good Housekeeping in 2021, they were given Best Bedding. Um, And they have something for everybody. No matter who you are, they've got tons of different prints and colors. They make great gifts. And there's literally an option for everyone. Men love it too. They have over 1.5 million raving fans, and you could be the next one. They have this incredible offer. So you can try now risk-free for 60 nights. I think that's enough time to figure out if you really like it. And all you have to do is go to blissy.com slash Gabby, and you'll get an additional 30% off. So that's blissy, B-L-I-S-S-Y.com slash Gabby. And don't forget to use the code Gabby to get an additional 30% off. You'll get to sleep cooler not only this summer, but all season long with Blissey. You do talk about supplementation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, obviously, maybe we could just quickly, you know, sort of talk about puppies. And I I don't mean to leave the poor cats out, but I'm moving off the cats right now. (laughs) Puppies and dogs. They'll remember this, by the way. Yeah, I know. They're going to, they'll eat my head. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Is... You know, caring for a puppy and caring for an adult dog, Mm -hmm. maybe just the the little, the nuance about that. And then when or what type of, I know it's case by case, but sort of supplementation for either a developing dog or an adult dog and then actually an aging dog. Sure. So when it comes to puppies, um, you do have to be a little bit cautious when it comes to supplementation because you're talking about a growing animal uh, and like young dogs they are a sponge for nutrients. Um, and that's not always necessarily a good thing. Like you can, you can over supplement a young dog and cause problems. Mm. Uh, you can cause orthopedic issues if you over supplement them in the wrong way. This is why puppy food exists. This is why large breed puppy food exists because if you have a, if you have a large dog that's growing really fast and they're getting say too much calcium and too many calories up front, what you wind up with is is a, a dog that puts on too much muscle mass 
before their bones can handle yeah. it. And then you wind up with a dog with hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia, et cetera. So, so over supplementing is a very serious issue when it comes to, to smaller dogs. And so I would, you know, urge caution when it comes to supplementing younger dogs, unless you're getting guidance from somebody. Uh, that said, once they're an adult, it's a much more forgiving system because at that point, the, the, the system is very discerning in the sense of like, if I don't need that, I'm not going to absorb it. And it's just coming out the other end. Mm -hmm. um, so that that works out a lot better. Um, but, you know, there are definitely things that we can do from a supplementation perspective that can be enormously helpful for these guys. And frankly, it's all going to sound familiar to you because you're in that world on the human side. So, you know, there are real easy things probiotics, omega fatty acids. I always tell people that the two supplements you pretty much can never go wrong with is, is a, a probiotic and fish oil. Uh, you know, I mean- the, same, same for us. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like these are things that the body really, really wants. Um, but moving beyond that, there are all kinds of things that can be beneficial. Uh, you know, in the book, since it's uh, clearly there, it, it, the, the book is very focused on longevity. You know, I've gone through and really sort of detailed out all of the known- hallmarks of aging based on research and really divided out supplements and and other other longevity therapies based on which of the hallmarks of aging that they affect because really what we're looking to do is to sort of check as many of those boxes as we can because at the you know at the end of the day i mean not surprisingly aging is not it's not a one-dimensional thing it's not like oh this one thing happens and we all get old yeah there's so a lot I of stuff going on tell me about it i wish yeah right yeah yeah i mean it's not it's it, if if it was an easy process to control it would have been done long long ago um but the the wonderful thing is is you know for the first time in history we're at a place right now where we can actually start to press those buttons and actually have a real positive effect because now we're starting to really understand the cellular mechanics of how this happens and how to intervene. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's, it's stuff that's been around for a really long time, um, but now we understand better how to use it. So things like resveratrol. Boswellia, curcumin, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, certain vitamins. I mean, vitamin D, for example, has unbelievable properties from the standpoint of immune support and anti-cancer support. If you just know how to sort of manage these things and give them, but it's also not a function of give all of this stuff all the time. Right. You know, that's not that's not how the body works. First of all, it's not practical for most people to give their dog twenty supplements in a day. Um, most people can't do that even for themselves. Um, but again, getting back to that whole evolutionary comment, dogs are not, they did not evolve eating the same thing every day and have eating, having the same nutrients every day. It's a spectrum and a cycle of things. Uh, so, you know, what I, what I recommend is, is that, you know, you give, you cycle through different supplements. You give some supplements now, mm -hmm. a few months later, you move into something different and you just kind of work your way through. So the body's getting the building blocks and the nutrients it needs over the long haul. Is there a universal, like, you know, we, most of us are vitamin D deficient mm -hmm. and they say we can never um, OD on curcumin at yeah. all. So those are sort of two things that, you know, or, you know, chaga mushroom. Those are the sort of things that I've heard that if you take yeah. all the time, it's sort of okay. Is there something that really shows up for you that you go, hey, you'd really be doing them a service? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, so, you know, some of the ones you just brought up, I think mushrooms are amazing. Um, clearly there are so many um, medicinal mushrooms. So those are often things that, you know, people might cycle through different ones over time. Vitamin D is a fascinating one because, you know, much like people, 
Many, many dogs and cats are deficient in vitamin D, although unlike people, it's not a sunlight issue. So dogs and cats don't convert sunlight to vitamin D. It's all nutritional with them, which kind of makes sense. I mean, they're right. covered with fur, so like they don't get a lot of direct exposure to the sun on their skin anyway. Um, and it's fascinating to me that even dogs and cats that are eating what I would consider really good diets in many cases wind up being low in vitamin D. So that's, a, that's, that's something that you can supplement and make a really big difference. Although that's also one of those things that you have to monitor their vitamin D levels because you can over supplement vitamin D and cause problems. Right. It, admittedly, you have to work at it. But, right. but nonetheless, like I wouldn't recommend that people sort of aggressively supplement vitamin D unless they're keeping tabs on what they're, what the levels are. How much they're doing. And, yeah. and I, I can hear people listening just thinking, oh, I'm going to be trying to shove a pill down the throat and the mm -hmm. thing. And you have powders and you have things that you can put in their food. Yeah. So I just want to say you've also thought about ways to make this easy. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely ways to do this. And granted, I mean, some animals are going to be easier than others. But I mean, you know, one of the things that I look to do is is to either either utilize or create combination supplements so like you know you can give say 10 different things but as a practical matter you're just giving one mm -hmm. uh the other nice thing at least when it comes to most dogs is if you know if you pick the right supplements most dogs will will, will eat them in their food i mean dogs um have a tendency to like fish oil you know and yeah it smells like low tide so you know you take your dog to the beach and what are they going to do they're going to roll in some dead fish on the beach i mean they like totally. this stuff so, so they, you know, sometimes that, that makes life easy because they like gross things. And then the teeth. Yeah. How, I mean, I think a lot of us don't really know how to take, I mean, we mentioned the bone care, yeah. but just yeah. in general, uh, good practices for their teeth. Sure. I mean, dental health is incredibly important when it comes to big picture health. Um, and this, while it's, while it's certainly a problem across the board, it tends to be more of a problem in smaller dogs. Um, just because their teeth tend to be a little more crowded and they just they don't have as much root and bone as say a larger dog does. Right. So when they get periodontal disease, it gets bad faster. Um, so as we discussed earlier, the periodic raw bone can be a huge help. Uh, there is no substitute for regular brushing. And, and I know that that's something that a lot of people groan about when I say that. Um, and I is, am. Are there doggy toothbrushes? Um, yes, although you know, there's no magic in a in a in a dog toothbrush. I mean, depending on the size of your dog, um, if you have a large dog, you can just use any toothbrush. If you have a smaller dog, you can get a dog toothbrush, or you can just get like the smallest like baby infant ones. type toothbrush you mm -hmm. can. Um, you know, and ideally speaking, yeah, I mean, your dog or your cat should have their teeth brushed every day. Um, and again, I know that that's not your, something most people do. you guys do. brush your dog's teeth at home? I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that that happens super frequently in my in, in, <laughs> in my office. It just feel good that you're a human being. But no, for sure. But I will tell you that both of my dogs are going in uh, in a couple of weeks to get their teeth cleaned, um, oh. which arguably they might not need if I was better at brushing their teeth. Fair enough. So Do they have to get knocked out for that? They, they do, clearly. They do. Yeah. So there is such a thing as a non-anesthetic dental cleaning, um, which also is a little controversial in the whole veterinary Wait. medical field. Wait, what do you mean? Why? Well, um, veterinary medicine in general does not take kindly to um, a non-anesthetic dental cleaning. Um, there, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but, you know, non-anesthetic cleanings... They absolutely are not equivalent to like a full anesthetic dental cleaning. You're not going to be able to get as deeply under the gum line. You're not getting dental x-rays. 
Um, the way I look at non-anesthetic cleanings is it is it is part of a larger preventative plan. Raw bones, teeth brushing, non-anesthetic cleanings, maybe the right kind of right. dental chews. It's all prevention. It doesn't mean that your dog's never going to need a full anesthetic dental. But what we're trying to do is is spread that interval so you know they only needed a handful of times in their life rather than every year. Right. Because anesthetizing a dog. Or, or a person, yeah. you know, every time you anesthetize a, an animal or a person, it's, you are stressing their system, you are, you are conceivably causing problems, yeah. and you're, you're rolling the dice. Yeah, I mean, controlled death. As safe as anesthesia is these days, there's always a risk. So let's do it as little as we can get away with. I wish you were like my human doctor. So reasonable. <laughs> I mean, I wonder, is your, it's funny because I know you're up in the Bay Area, but you're, you're, you're so sort of straightforward and like this, but I like that it's this, what people would think as alternative, mm -hmm. progressive, almost hippie. And then, you know, you're like, so we'll be doing some acupuncture today. Sure. And I'm like, that's because that's where it needs to go tonally. Yeah. I think for all of us, mm -hmm. because people have associated, oh yeah, sure. They're not really doing it. It's like, no, this is the real practice Yeah, is paying attention to the individual patient. Sure. Um, one, th one thing I read uh, or saw, you were talking about molecular um, hydrogen tablets mm -hmm. and I have like a little machine that does it. Yeah. And I, and I, I thought that was just an interesting point. And you were sort of saying, yeah, but they have to do it right away while it's fizzing because yeah. we can't, how do you get them to do it? And, mm -hmm. and then someone you were discussing it with was talking about coconut water. Yeah. So I, I just thought it was an interesting thing because I have a water machine that does it. Sure. That you drink it right away. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was sort of, that that's even available. Yeah. I mean, I pets. think molecular hydrogen is a, is a fantastic supplement um, for people. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's tricky with animals because, you know, yeah. do you it can't now. get them to drink when you now. need them to drink, right? <laughs> right. Um, so that, that, that becomes a little bit problematic in that sense, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you know, and to your point about, about just sort of medicine in general, it, you know, I think it's very easy sort of for people who are very, very firmly rooted in Western medicine to sort of look at alternative and holistic medicine and just brush it all off as, you know, like hippies burning sage and waving mm -hmm. crystals. And on the other side of the coin, it's e you know it's easy for those people to brush it off of oh they they're they're killing animals with vaccines and anesthesia and surgery, when in you know and, and but you know as is often the case in life, there are no absolutes. There's good on both sides of that, and like all of this is really about balance and that, and and that's that's sort of the way that my my professional path has sort of taken me in the sense of, you know, it's a question of. How do I take the best of Western medicine and the best of alternative medicine and just kind of weave it all together? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's so, you know, when I see a patient, it's a question of, of what is the most effective treatment that I can offer here that is going to have the least potential problematic side effects? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, just to be completely upfront about it, it's hard to do because there's a lot to sort of collate in your brain. Yeah. And you, you might have it. to try a few things and be like, part of this is working part of it's not and going through that process but that's more honest yeah than any other approach it is and and you know and, I, and sometimes people ask me why it is that you know more veterinarians or more physicians don't do this kind of stuff and and to me probably part of the reason is is is, is because if you're going to go down that road it means that as a doctor 
At some point, you have to look inward and realize that for however long you've been practicing, maybe you haven't been doing as good a job as you thought you were. Yeah. Um, which is a very difficult sort of self-realization. And, you know, I mean, the thing about the thing about doctors is almost almost across the board, we are all practicing with integrity and from the heart. We all want our patients to do better and feel better. There's no conspiracy about, you know, let me make a bunch of money on vaccines and whatnot. Like people go down that road. It's not true. Like everybody's doing the best job they can. Um, but it's just sometimes they're doing the best job they can without all the tools in the toolbox. Yeah. Is the thing. And that's and 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 I think it's just a function of like, don't don't throw away a tool just because it's unfamiliar and you're not sure what it does. Yeah, but that that takes that takes taking a little bit of a look. And I think it that's does. that is that is hard and for especially human medicine, maybe in ways not so different, uh, but in some ways maybe way more different. I think those doctors are overloaded. I think it's really stressful. Yeah. Um, the practices. I think there's just a, a lot of dynamics that people don't realize. Well, yeah. I mean, that's another problem. Is is you know, I mean, if if your practice is set up so like you legitimately have ten or fifteen minutes to spend with, yeah. so what are you going to do? And insurance. How and much da, da, da. work can I actually yeah. get done? So it's, I mean, there's a reason why you know initial appointments in my office are an hour long because I need that time to you, sit down and talk to people. Do you ever not take a patient? Like if the owner is like, you're just like, oh, this is going to be, I know what the writing's on the wall. I'm just like, we're going to, or I'm going to, do you have another person in your practice that you can kind of bump them to? Well, I mean, so yes, there are other doctors in my practice, but no, it's not going to be like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to deal really? with this. No. You I don't mean, see it? Like you already know, like, oh, I know what's, I see what's happening here. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, like you read, you like you read the records that come over and like, I mean, you know, I mean, you Whenever you've done anything for long enough, you can start to predict what's going to come. Right. But you know what? I mean, that doesn't mean you don't, you know, you, you you still follow proper channels and do everything right. Because you know what? I mean, even after 25 years, I am routinely surprised um, by, by how things play out, mm -hmm. you know? Quite frankly, sometimes things get better that even that I did not expect. To get better. Really? Um, yeah, and it's amazing. That's so great. It's so much fun when that kind of stuff happens. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, you always you always give them a chance. What about the skin? So I know it's obviously different between short-haired and long-haired dogs, but is there some type of practice that people can do to... Because skin and, is a part of health. Yeah. Um, that you really like for dogs. Yeah. I mean, so much of that comes back to the whole nutrition Internal. supplement. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, skin problems in many cases is it it's an outward manifestation of, of inward disease. Their gut or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, gut problems, other problems. That said, I mean, there certainly are dogs out there um, that have allergies to things in the environment. Um, so that is something that, that, you know, sometimes needs to be managed either with, with supplements or bathing or sometimes medication, um, like hotspots, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they come around at a certain time of the year, like yeah. for Kava, he, he'll get sure. them, you know, like summer, right. One or something. Right. Um, and so that might be environmental and. Yeah, I, you know, and especially like, yeah, when, when like we say, when it kind of comes around in the summertime, then clearly there's there's an environmental factor right. to that, um, you know. So, you know, that that's a that's an interesting time. Like, for example, you look at Chinese medicine, and mm. Chinese medicine part of what it does is it treats people seasonally. I know it's so right? even spices. Yeah, like to eat certain things during exactly cold, eating cinnamon and things like exactly. that. Exactly, so exactly. Smart. So, like from a Chinese medical perspective, like. 
If you know that the patient had tends to have a seasonal problem in the summer, then you start treating them in the spring right. with, with herbs, with diet. Mm. You start prepping their body to be more equipped for those summertime stresses. Um, you know, so you can, you can do that kind of stuff. And, and, and even when stuff arises, you know, you just, the, the trick is, is to get on top of it before, before, like from the standpoint of a hotspot before they've, you know, literally torn a hole in themselves. And then, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Um, ang anxious dogs. Do you give them herbal blends? You know, dogs that are wound a little tight. For sure. That must be really helpful. Yeah, right? it, it really can be. So, uh, you know, herbal blends that could range anywhere from things like passion flower, PEA, these sorts of things. Um, I, I use a lot of cannabis in my practice. We use a lot of CBD, yes, um, a lot of other cannabinoids. Um, I'm a co-founder of a nonprofit called the Veterinary Cannabis Society um, because that is that is a medicine that is that is just dramatically poorly understood and under underutilized yeah. in, in medicine in general. Um, so, you know, part of this is about educating the veterinary community about look what you have at your fingertips and look how effective it is. Mm. Um, so that can be really helpful, but also, you know, those behavioral problems, uh, as is the case with people, you know, what I always tell pet owners is, is, you know, if you, if you if a person has an anxiety disorder, you're not fixing that with a pill. You can't just hand that person Prozac and walk away and, you know, slap your hands and you're done. That's going to, therapy has to go along with that. So therapy for a dog is training. So again, it comes back to dogs are very much habits of, you know, their routine. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they love their routine. And when they have routine and they know what's happening in their day and they have structure, they have less anxiety. Um, so yeah, so like you can't like do therapy like you would in a person. Yeah. But like if you give them things to do and give them structure in their life so that they feel comfortable in what their day is going to look like, they tend to be less spun up. Yeah. I know he's less popular now, but when I saw, we used to joke that Caesar, the dog mm -hmm. training guy, mm -hmm. they'd be like, oh, this dog is aggressive and da, da, da. And he'd be like, great, get the owner, bring him over here. Yeah. It fixed the owner, you know? Well, in many, it, it, it is, <laughs> it is like very much related. And it's funny because like, I will sometimes have people come in, um, you know, very upset that their dog is anxious and whatnot. I'm sitting there internally <laughs> laughing. I'm like, do you see what's happening here? Um, I mean, they really do key off the people in their life. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So some of that. And that's always an interesting conversation to have with people about, like, you need to get yourself in order yeah. if you think your, your dog's, dog's just gonna... vibrating off you. Yeah, for sure. Do you ever, I mean, because it's a fascinating job that you have. Is there a type of dog or typically that you are more reluctant I don't want to say that we use the word scared, yeah, but that they're that you're a little like, oh, here we go. There are there are certain breeds of dogs that I, I mean, let's just say they they get your guard up a little bit. Yeah, and then you can't because you don't want to vibrate that either, right? You, it's like this mix. You don't want to, but I mean, like you know, you have to. There are certain things and situations that you approach with caution, mm -hmm. um, and and some of it's not even really a, necessarily a breed thing, but you know, like you know, you work around dogs enough, and like. At a glance, you can just see their body language and they'll tell you. They will. You know, oh yeah, a dog will tell you like, don't come near me. You know, whether it's a look or a body posture or the way they hold their ears or their tail, you know, they're very much, dogs are communicating. It's just a, a situation that most people are not smart enough to understand what they're being told. Yeah. Um, which is why a lot of people get bit because yeah. they don't understand it. But yeah, I mean, when you're talking about... You know, you think about what certain breeds of dogs were bred to do. Right. You know, so when you're talking about like 
attack dogs, guard dogs. Um, the ones that, you know, the ones that I think most veterinarians approach with caution. You mentioned one earlier, an Akita. Yeah. Oh. You know, Akitas can be tricky. Chows. And they, they're they're more sneaky because you can't, I don't think you can read an Akita as much. It, it, Akitas and Chows are both interesting dogs because you don't get a lot of facial cues from yeah, them. Yeah, no, they just. They're very deadpan um, until their mouth is on you. Um, so you have to be careful with those dogs. Um, uh, but then, you know, when you're dealing with dogs, um, you know, uh, Rottweilers can be a little tricky. Um, sometimes Rott Rottweilers are interesting dogs in so much as behaviorally speaking, they love you until you do something they don't like, <laughs> and then it's not fun anymore for them. Um, or, you know, you think about the dogs that are very frequently used, um, as like police dogs or military service dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, uh, a, a Malinois, a Belgian Turverin. The, are those aggressive? But I, they feel like they're so disciplined. If they're properly trained, oh. they're very disciplined. If they're not properly trained, they can get scared. It's scary. a loose cannon. Well, the thing is, is like... A dog like that needs to understand who's in charge. Yeah. Um, and when you have a when you have a dog like that, and they, you know, if if there's not a definitive figure in charge in that dog's life, then their default assumption is that they're in charge. Mm. Um, and that's when things can get real dicey when the when the dog is under the assumption that they're running the show. Um, and, and you know, I mean, talk about not a starter dog. Like, I, I, I mean, like, no. I am a firm believer that, that... That's a full-time dog. Generally speaking, regular people probably should not own a dog like a, like no. a Turverin or a Malinois, unless you are an incredibly accomplished trainer. I have dog trainers that come into my office with those dogs, and they're like puppies. They're so adorable, which is so much fun for me because they're such beautiful dogs and you want to hug all over them, but you just can't. Yeah. So it's always fun when you can. Um, but yeah, I mean, those dogs can be very, very tricky. Um, it's fascinating. Like if you ever watch, uh, if you ever watch dog shows, like, yeah, you know, like the them. Woodminster dog show or whatnot, yeah. I always love the terminology they use to describe the breeds because it is like, it is like the most positive spin on something that could be so bad. Yeah. You know, like they'll describe a dog as fiercely loyal to their owners. <laughs> yeah. Fiercely loyal to their owners means they'll bite people who are not. <laughs> But it's fascinating the way, like, how do we spin this and make this sound really good? Yeah, because they're here inside. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, but, uh, you know, as a veterinarian, you, you, you sort of get to, you get so to know these you've things. Obviously, in your younger days, you've probably been uh, gotten grabbed a couple times. Oh, yeah, I've had a few holes. But cats, man, they scare me almost more than dogs. I will tell you that your average veterinarian will deal with an angry dog over an angry cat any day. Yeah. You know, the thing about most dogs is dog dogs will... Dogs will bite you to say, stop doing what you're doing. So they'll bite you and they're done. Cats mean it. Cats, it's a bar fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cats will just, they'll bite you and they'll finish the job. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, very few people get one cat bite. Yeah. Right. It's just. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. dog, when it sees a cat, is like, I'm not getting into that. Oh, hell no. No, no, I'm not getting yeah, near no, that. Yeah, no, they play for keeps. <laughs> Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, we won't get into the analogy of, you know, dogs and females and males and cats. Oh, that's and, a dangerous place to I go. I know. But anyway, <laughs> crate training. How do you feel about it? Um, I case think by it, case? I, I think it is. A, I, in many cases, I think it's an owner's decision. Okay. Um, I think crate training can be great. If you don't want to crate train your dog, I don't really care. Yeah. I think the one time where you could really make a strong argument for for crate training is like, and then, and this house is probably a great example of that. If you live somewhere where there's some reasonable chance that you may have to evacuate, 
Oh, I thought you were going to say coyote. So I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, well, that too. But yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. if there's a chance that you have to evacuate, it would be best if your dog was reasonably comfortable in a crate. Yeah. Like if you had to go somewhere where you had to shelter or something, um, yeah. you know, that's important. Yeah. Other than that, I don't really care. You're if you want to do it, great. If you don't, I don't care. No, this is this is just a philosophical question. Our dog, the breed, we got the dog. We didn't have first choice of the dog from the litter, uh -huh. and so breed standard is the tail is short. Yeah, and we had a dog before this same breed with its tail. Uh -huh. The one with its tail was very defiant. Uh -huh. More, you know, like you were talking about certain things like anxious, whatever. Uh -huh. This dog is much more compliant. Uh -huh. My husband seems to think it's because they took the tail off. Nope. Do you think it impacts them at all when they do things like remove the tail or breed standards or things like that? I think the one thing that it impacts, and this is true for both tails and ears, that is a means of expression and communication mm. for those dogs. I see. So you take that away and like, particularly between one dog and another, you've taken away part of their ability to communicate with another animal. Um, that said, and, and I'm glad you brought this up, there is no medical or reasonable reason to dock a tail or crop ears or declaw or remove dew claws in an animal, period. Yeah. I mean, if there's an injury, sure, that's a different thing. But as a, you know, as a breed standard, uh, I'll just come right out and say it, it's stupid. Yeah. And, we, and we should really stop doing it. And there's nothing cuter than a Doberman with ears and a tail. Yeah. They Do, are don't you think they're skitsy? Dobermans? Yeah. Like Depends skissing. on the dog. They can be a brain, little... You think their brain's getting squeezed in that little head? What's going on there? <laughs> I think at the end of the dog, a Doberman's just a goofy hound dog. Is that what and if you see them with ears, you'll you can see it. Like yeah, when they have the pointy sense. ears, they don't look it. But when they have the big floppy ears, you're like, oh, you're just a big goofy hound dog. That explains everything. <laughs> so in in the case of longevity, your book's out now. Both your books. Yeah. So, um, is there something that is uh, that was that's really important that I I've totally missed? Um, as far as, uh, you know, people uh, approaching being good pet owners for the longevity and the well-being of their pet. Sure. Um, you know, I think I think in many ways this really mirrors what's going on with people in so much as, you know, you think of it as a pyramid. And, and you know, I mean, the base of the pyramid is going to be diet, lifestyle, environment, you know, all these things that fortunately – these are things that pet owners can do at home. You don't need me for this. You don't need to pay me to sort out your dog's diet and lifestyle. It's, you know, it's, there's enough information out there. As you kind of work your way up the pyramid, now you're talking about things like supplements, pharmaceuticals, regenerative medicine, like stem cell therapy, ozone therapy, hyperbaric oxygen, that sort of thing. That's when things get, uh, you know, more technical. And if you have the interest and the means to make that stuff happen, there can be a really, really significant impact in a positive way by that those kinds of things, but only if you're already doing the foundational stuff. Like if you're not doing diet, lifestyle, nutrition, then you're effectively building a house on a foundation of sand. It's just not going to work the way you want it to. Um, so like I say, mo easily half of this stuff are things that anybody can do at home. You don't need a veterinarian. Don't spend money on me to do that. Mm -hmm. But if you if you have the interest to kind of take it that one step further, that's when things can get real interesting. That's when the science of, of what we know now about longevity really comes into play and where we can really start to have significant impact. And do people get like yearly blood work done on their dogs or cats? They should. Um, okay. and, and I'll go one step further and to say that they 
they should get more than just sort of like a standard CBC in chemistry like your regular veterinarian would run. Um, you know, we can we can run other parameters now. We can look at vitamin and mineral levels. We can look at omega fatty acid levels. You can even look at things like um, epigenetic age testing, um, which admittedly is not in any way sort of an indicator of like when your dog's going to die per se, but it's a really good indicator of how well you're doing from the standpoint of of you know your your lifestyle and longevity treatments uh as to you know get an idea of how quickly their body is is deteriorating yeah that's an interesting what's the oldest dog you've ever treated do you remember mid-20s what kind of breed small dog uh, small dog chihuahua okay are chihuahuas the only dog that's related to a fox and not a wolf i think they're all ultimately related to wolves okay yeah. Somehow I heard that and I wonder you're the perfect person. Yeah, I think, you know, all dogs ultimately are are evolved from wolves, which always makes me laugh. Like, you know, when I have um I have an employee who has a um a dog called a borble, which is a type of mastiff. It's a South African mastiff. Dog are, those, weighs, are those the ones that try to kill people? He's a very sweet dog. Okay. He has no idea how strong he is, mm. but he's a very sweet dog. He's ballpark around two hundred pounds, all muscle and bone. Uh, and I always laugh when I look at that dog and then I think of my 12-pound Shih Tzu at home and, and and I think about like, wow, you guys have a common ancestor. Mm -hmm. How does this happen? How does this work? It's, it's a fascinating thing. Justin, you get your one question. Oh, I can't wait. Ooh, mic on. One question. Um, any recommendations for um, someone that's getting a pet with no history from a rescue? Like first things to look for or do or take them to you or... Sure. Um, you know, if you're getting a pet from a rescue, if it is a if it is a possible thing to do, um, I would recommend that people foster the dog. Um, so that's a really good way to sort of try things out. Um, and and the reason why I say that is because you know, I mean, dogs have personalities just like people do, and if you sort of agree to foster the dog, you know, you can get a few weeks or a month and really get an idea of whether or not that's a good fit. Um, and, and, you know, and there, there's nothing, there, there's no greater success than a foster failure. Uh, you know, people foster dogs and they're like, hell no, am I giving this dog back? Um, but if it doesn't work out, you know, now you don't necessarily have the, the sort of the guilt and the angst of having to give back a dog that you've adopted. Um, so make sure, I mean, it's a relationship. I mean, frankly, it's a relationship that lasts longer than most relationships. So, uh, you know, so it's, it's it, it, a trial period is always nice if you can sort that out. Dr. Richter, can you got, uh, just direct people? I'm curious also, because your line is beautiful. Maybe if we can just briefly talk about your food line. And sure. to you, um, is there a hero product? Because I know there is mm -hmm. in that line for you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, 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 the brand of the, the supplements and the food overall is Ultimate Pet Nutrition. Mm -hmm. So it's ultimatepetnutrition.com. Sort of the, the, the cornerstone, the hero product is called NutriThrive. Uh, it's a really great uh, combination supplement that, that almost any dog, and there is a cat version, which you'll be happy to hear, uh, uh, that almost any dog or cat can benefit from. Uh, there are other supplements that are more specifically directed towards things like joint health, skin health, um, detox, liver health, that sort of thing. And then there's uh, freeze-dried raw foods as well for both dogs and cats. So that's a freeze-dried is a really great way to get really, really high-end whole food nutrition in animals without having to deal with some of the hassles that come with sort of like frozen raw food and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's kind of the convenience of kibble 
uh, but the but the nutrition and the benefits of fresh whole foods. And you know, like to your point earlier, if people have multiple dogs or it's cost, you can mix a bit of that in with the stuff they're already eating, and you're boosting what they're getting. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just a question of like feed as much fresh food or freeze dried food mm-hmm. as you can, right. and then feed the rest the highest quality food that that works in your life. And all the the all the ways that people can find you, they're not going to call your office. Don't worry. Oh, some of them will. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, again, I mean, they can find information about the products at ultimatepetnutrition.com. Uh, uh, they can also go to drgaryrichter.com. Uh, uh, so you'll find information there about the books. And if if people are in the Bay Area uh, and they are interested in bringing their dog in, my office website is holisticvetcare.com. And we're in the East Bay. We're in Oakland. So uh, really quick, just because you said hyperbaric, does the owner go in with the pet and hang out? No. How does it work? Is it a room? It's a it's a chamber. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, it, I've it been looks in like a hyperbaric. It looks like a mini sub. Uh, so but how a, do you get the dog to adhere to that? So it's, it's a it's a hard-sided chamber. So um, probably a lot of the chambers you've been in, um, because most of the human ones, like you go in and you wear a mask. No, I was in a glass. Oh, okay. I went down. Okay. You know. So you were in one of the ones that actually pressurizes with oxygen. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's how you have to do it in 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 veterinary medicine because you're not going to get a dog to wear an oxygen mask. So so effectively, you put the dog in the chamber um, and we pressurize it, and for the most part, they do fine. You know, it, it, in in my experience, this you know, much like there's like stages of grief with people. There's like stages of indignance with dogs when you put them in a in a hyperbaric chamber. Like first, they're confused. Um, and then they get a little anxious and then they get indignant that you've locked them in this chamber and then they get bored and they go to sleep because effectively what happened, like from the dog's perspective, nothing happens. Like they don't feel anything. So like most animals, like if they're understimulated, they're going to take a nap. Right. So more often than not, they just take a nap. And is it for like a dog that has a wound or for what, why would you put them in there? Could be, uh, could be wound care. We do a lot of that, um, any condition where there's either either inflammation or lack of circulation, severe swelling, spinal trauma, brain trauma, uh, inflammation, say like liver inflammation, pancreatitis, that sort of thing. Uh, there's also an interesting study that came out of Israel not long ago in people where they found that, uh, that they were actually able to lengthen telomeres and increase stem cell release with, with, uh, with repeated hyperbaric oxygen treatments. Yeah. So so from a longevity perspective, there's a lot to be said in that regard right. as well. No, I love that. Every time ever I need an athletic surgery, I'll book a whole you know week right after. And oh, it's spectacular for healing. And the NFL, there's some incredible protocols. Yeah. Um, uh, do you remember, uh, what was his name? Uh, Broadway Joe. Help me out. Joe Namath. Yeah. So I saw him in interviews. He was punch drunk. And mm. then he did a protocol literally like 200 in a year. Yeah. Like a different person. The yeah. brain, the brain swelling. Yeah. And and you know, I mean, that's a that's a great example of like, he didn't just have a concussion yesterday. I mean, yeah. these are decades, years. decades old, yeah. um, and still the brain is able to recover from that, which is a which is a really amazing thing. Now, fortunately, we don't see as much traumatic brain injury in animals as like you know right. people in the athletic world do. But I mean, it's a great example of how resilient the body is, even when it's not a fresh injury. Yeah, I love that, Dr. Gary Richter. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Appreciate you. You bet. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. All you have to do is go to gabriellereese.com or head to the episode show notes to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, podcasts, and so much more.
If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and send them to at Gabby Reese on Instagram. And if you feel inspired, please subscribe. I'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Laird Superfood. Many of you don't know, Laird Superfood was created in my kitchen in 2015 by my husband, Laird, and we have a lot of beautiful products. We've got organic coffees, vegan creamers that taste amazing. But for my pumpkin spice lovers, I'm excited to share. We have a whole new bunch of SKUs of pumpkin spice. We have pumpkin spice creamer, so our powdered creamers, ones that people are already using, like we've got original and turmeric and mocha and reduced sugar. Now we have pumpkin spice. We also have a pumpkin spice liquid that you can find in refrigerated sections of the grocery store. We have a pumpkin spice protein bar, 10 grams of protein, clean ingredients. And I like it because it's not gummy. It tastes more, it tastes like food. I mean, that's the hope. So it's not gummy, but it still has really clean ingredients. And finally, our pumpkin spice instant latte. This is an incredible product because all you have to do is add hot water. It's easy. You can take it on the go. If you're traveling, if you want to have, you know, your special drink with you at all times, it's so easy to use. Maybe you're going camping, maybe you're on an airplane at the office. So if you are a pumpkin spice lover, Check out all of our new fun pumpkin spice products and you can go to LairdSuperfood.com and if you punch in the code GABBY20 at checkout, you will receive 20% off.